And you guys can have a seat. Well, here we are, Sunday morning. So glad you guys are joining us again. Uh, beautiful day. So, so glad you guys are here. My name is Seth. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Salem. And uh, I just want to start with a couple of quick, uh, really, uh, really quick things. Uh, one, just as this, is just the, is that song, Your Praise Will Ever Be On My Lips, is just ringing ringing right now in, in the back of my heart. So I think it fits super well into what we're going to be talking about today, and so I'm excited to get into that. Uh, but before we do, um, two other quick things. One, if you were here this last week and you rose, uh, raised your hand and said, I will try Oreos and salsa, they are in the foyer for you to try. So um, put your money where your mouth is. Let's Let's see it. Let's see it done. So, um, so that's out there. And then, other really quick, so, a silly thing, uh, but a bit of a selfish uh, request. Um, if you have any interest at all in in coming and watching the men's softball team finish our final games and building some community and probably laughing a lot. Um, while, while you do, you can come this Thursday and watch us. Just a fun, fun time to build community uh, together. So, um, hey. Um, We've been in this uh, series called uh, Risking uh, Church, and I, I want to start, uh, we've only got one week after this week left. So we've got this week, uh, and then we've got next week, and we've got a, like a little kind of a mini three-week series and before we jump into, uh, on a fall kickoff, into Ephesians. And so that will be coming up, and there's going to be more that's going to be released on that, and you guys will hear more information about that kind of coming up, but we're really excited uh, about that. But we're wrapping up this series, and I want to start by just sharing this story. Uh, when I was in seminary, um, we were in Chicago, and we had this one of these, you know, you have to take Greek and Hebrew, and once you take your Greek and Hebrew, you have to move into these kind of upper-level classes, these canon courses, and, and so I had this one class that was a Hebrew class, and so you had to know your Hebrew, which was always hard for me anyways, um, in order to take the classes. So once you know it, you jump in, and you go into, into this higher-level class, and we started studying for this exam, and, and I just remember being so overwhelmed, and so, uh, but I kept it inside. <laughs> I kept it inside. I was like, it's probably just me. It's probably just me. I'm probably just not a smart as everybody else in this room, and, um, but finally, it started kind of squeaking out from, from peers uh, that they were really super overwhelmed, <laughs> and so we created this little group, and we went to the professor, and we just said, we know that you love us, we know that the, the gospel is real, <laughs> but we need your grace, and so what, is there anything that we can do to kind of help us uh, get ready for this exam or to whatever. And uh, by his grace, by God's grace, really, uh, what he did is he ended up letting us take the exam in groups. And so there was three of us. And so he told everybody in class the next week, he said, you can create your own group, you can take it as a group. And, uh, and so that's what we did. And uh, as we took this exam, and um, <laughs> I remember we took it and we were like, wow, that's really hard. And then we got the exam back in between three of us. And again, we're not slouches. But between three of us, we got a 72%. And I was like, holy cow, thank goodness for the grace of God. <laughs> you know? Um, and, uh, and part of the story, and, and I'll show this a little bit more about this later, but part of the story is that on the day of the exam, um, I turned around and one of my buddies was right behind me, and he was by himself. And I said, man, where's your team? <laughs> you need your team. He goes, I was gone that day. And so he had to take the exam all by himself. It was so brutal. I'll tell you more about that later. But here's the deal. We, 
as a, we as a community, we're in this series called Risking Church, right? We are designed to be in community. We need each other desperately. And last week we talked about bearing each other's burdens, right? Entering into the mess uh, and embracing the mess uh, together. And so we've been in the series and we've been, you know, we started kind of high and then we kind of, we, we spent some weeks, we went down into the brokenness, into the nitty gritty stuff of that. And then last week we talked about sin. And so we're kind of on our way back up into the little bit more positive stuff. Like today's positive. This is really encouraging stuff today, right? And so we're going to get into, into that. But before we do, I think it's important. I think it'd be remiss, I would be remiss if we didn't share just a couple of quick verses uh, kind of coming out of last week because this is really important considering our sins. So this first one uh, is this verse um, from Proverbs and it says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, okay? Whoever conceals them, those sins, those, those trespasses, those transgressions, they will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy, right? So that's really important. Um, but in the midst of that too, right, it's not just this individual thing, the, the sin that I feel that's going on in my own heart, there's also like the sin that happens between brothers and sisters in the body. And so there's this other verse uh, from Mark 11, um, which says this, it says, whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses, right? There's this idea that forgiveness is contingent on my understanding and my ability to receive it and to give it, right? And so if, I just want to just make sure we know this. Coming out of these, like we were in this kind of lower spot, we're coming up in the positive, but if there's anything going on in your life, there's confession that's needed and repentance. And if there's any sin between you and a brother or sister, like go talk to them, right? And go ask for forgiveness. This is really tremendous. Tremendously uh, important. And so today, though, uh, we're, we're on the way up, and we're actually going into uh, the book of Titus. And the book of Titus, uh, this is actually my f- one of my favorite passages. It's actually uh, what I might designate, and some people do this, and some people don't, and that's okay if you do or don't, but I designate this kind of like my life verse. This is something that I have come back to over and over and over and over uh, in my life. Um, and it's, it's in the book of Titus, and it's verses 11 through uh, 14. So if you've got uh, your Bible, you can uh, turn over there, and uh, we're going to start in there in just a second. Uh, it's, called, uh, it's called Titus because it's written by a guy named Paul. Many of us have probably heard that name. He was the Apostle Paul. He had all these amazing missionary uh, adventures and journeys, and, and uh, he wrote these pastoral epistles uh, to Titus and Timothy, who really are kind of his mentee type of people, his, uh, the people that he has called in many regards to imitate me as I imitate Christ is kind of where he's coming from. So he's got Titus and, and Timothy and also Barnabas, but he wrote these letters to several of these people, and one is written to to this guy named Titus, um, who is kind of his mentee. Okay, and so here we are. Uh, if we come to our trusty uh, board, um, we're actually not quite there yet, so we're going to read that in a little bit. So we come to, just to give a little bit of background, this is um, drawn perfectly to scale. This is the island of Crete, very, very small people. <laughs> uh, we, it takes place, uh, the letter takes place uh, on this island called Crete. And, uh, and I remember Crete because a long time ago when I was an undergrad, I actually studied in one of my archaeology classes about this, this really neat city uh, or fortress called Canassus that was on Crete. And I was just absolutely fascinated. So really, really fun culture. You can go look it up and find all, all sorts of neat, fun things. I'm actually not sure if it was a, like a, uh, a fortress or just a really big like market center. So I just pretended to think it was a fortress because that's way cooler than just like a bunch of groceries. So, um, 
So he's like, there's this town in Canossus, right? And so here's where, here's where Paul is sending Titus. Now, uh, we don't have a record of where Paul or when Paul visited Crete in his journeys. Um, we have record of his first, second, and third, uh, but not his fourth. And so it's likely that Paul probably visited the, the island of Crete on his fourth missionary journey. And here's where he sends Titus. And this is in the middle uh, of the Mediterranean uh, Sea. And so up here, like up on this spot, would be kind of the, uh, the very bottom um, uh, of Greece, and down here would be the very tip of Africa, you know, kind of, and so here we are in this, it's not a small island, but it's relatively, relatively good size, but it's, it's very much connected to Greek culture, and, and on this island, there's a couple of different things that are working uh, against Titus, and, and working against the church, and so I'm just going to uh, draw uh, these, these two people, so one, um, we're going to name uh, Carl, <laughs> okay, uh, just because I don't think we have any Carls in this room. And uh, Carl stands for the Cretan culture, and we'll talk about him in a second. He's got short, spiky hair because he's cool, okay? Uh, and then we've got this guy over here, uh, and this guy we're going to name, uh, let's see, John, Johnny. Oh, I did that backwards, didn't I? Yeah, there we go. Okay. Nope, I did it right. God's grace, God's grace. Thank you, guys. That's good. Uh, Carl and Johnny. Okay, and Johnny, uh, for just because he, he can, he's got the long hair and the beard. Okay, so we've got Carl and Johnny uh, who are on the island of Crete with Titus. And this is significant because uh, the Carl, he stands for the Cretan culture. Okay, hence the C, right? You can't make these things up. I'm, I work really hard to make sure these things work, okay? So he stands for the Cretan culture. Uh, and check this out. This is, we don't have a, um, a, um, this up on the slides, but just imagine if, if somebody said this about your own culture, okay? So this is what Paul says in verse 12 in chapter 1. He says, one of the Cretans, okay, so he's talking about the people on Crete. He says, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, okay, somebody, somebody within their own group said this about his own people, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. How would you, how would you like it if somebody said that about you? Um, I tried to think about what would, what would be the one that we, uh, we wrote for our American culture. Maybe there's a hint of truth and even in this even for us, right, in, in our American culture. Right? And so that's, that's, a really, that's a really strong statement. And so Titus has uh, this group of, of the Cretans, this, this culture that he's going to be working against. Okay? Now he's also got these other guys uh, and this guy named Johnny. And Johnny represents the Judaizers. Okay? So these are people who are sympathetic uh, to, uh, to, the Old Testament, uh, to the Old Testament law. And so these are people that are trying to put new wineskin into old wineskins. It just doesn't work. right? They, they want to go back to here's what you need to do, do do, do, and top of all that, and we talked a long time ago about well, the difference between the true gospel and a false gospel, right? The false gospel says you can add or subtract or change, but the true gospel is just 100% Jesus, right? It's all about his grace, all about that, receiving that on our end by faith, right? And so that's the, that's the difference. So the way that Paul describes these Judaizers is he says that they, these people are insubordinate, they're empty talkers, and they are deceivers, right? 
pretty powerful words that Paul is using um, about the people on this island. And so all of a sudden, you've got Titus, whoever he is or however old he is, you know, Paul shakes his hand, gives him a wave and a lollipop and says, here you go, have fun. Enjoy building the church on the island of Crete. In fact, Paul is is so adamant about these people, he says that these people, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works, right? They profess to know God, but they deny him by by their works. And so really, they are detestable, and they are unfit for any good work. None, nada, zero, no good works. They're They're not fit for it. Because what they, have, what they have done is that they have disconnected uh, this idea of right belief from right behavior. They've disconnected what you can believe about God from how you act and how you respond to people within the community. So if you go, okay, so I want to think, how do, you, how do we remember this picture? This is what kind of came to my mind this week as I was thinking about this. How difficult is this of a moment for Titus? Uh, think about the word concrete. The word crete is in there, right? It's firm, it's adamant, it's established, it's heavy, it's like unbreakable, right? Or just really, really hard, right? So this is concrete. This is a difficult situation for Titus uh, to enter into. And then what Paul does in this, in this pastoral epistle is what's very common, what he does with, with any of his pastoral epistles, is that he talks about what is the, the right true doctrine, like what is, what is good teaching, but then also then the main thing uh, coming, coming out of that is what are the right relationships? What is the community uh, supposed to look like? And so he sends Titus into this place, and he says, I want you to establish right relationships. So he talks about elders, he talks about men and women and kids, younger, older, right, all sorts of people, uh, bond sermons, every, every single type of possible relationship, he says, I want you to establish this right relationship in the community, which is where risking church really comes in, right? Uh, this feels like a risk. If you're Titus and like Paul just sends you off and you're like, wow, this is a risk. This feels like a risk, right? Uh, fortunately, God is sovereign and, and he's at work in the midst of this. And so um, what he's going to do in, in ch- uh, chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, is that he's going to tell us what um, really is this, um, what, what the main and ultimate reason is for why godly behavior exists or needs to exist in the church. Okay, so check this out in, in 11 through 14. It says, For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, uh, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Do you see how big this is? This is huge. Like, I read this and I get tingles. I I love this passage. I love how this encompasses, like, all of the Bible story. It talks about the gospel. It talks about good works. It talks about all this really, really neat stuff. Which, by the way, these verses is just, this is very common in Paul. It's one sentence. One sentence. In fact, his longest one sentence, I think, is like 13 or 14 verses. Can you imagine writing a sentence that long? This is one sentence, and the subject is this one simple word called grace. All of this is about God's grace. 
Every single piece is about how God's grace brings salvation, how God's grace trains us, and how God's grace is used in the midst of the waiting while we wait for Jesus to ultimately come back. Okay, so let's talk about this by, uh, just by verse here. First verse, uh, verse 11. Uh, for the grace of God uh, has appeared. Uh, so when we think about grace, um, this is one of those words that in English we kind of look at, or maybe as Christians, or maybe you've never even heard this before, because what is that word? And sometimes we read it and we just kind of skim right past it, we know, we think we know what it means. Uh, grace is really the, the disposition of God, like his favor to act favorably towards us when we don't deserve it, okay? That's, that's God's grace, when he acts uh, in favor of us when we don't deserve it. And it's a gift that he gives, this is what other scripture teaches, it's a gift that can only be given, it's not something that can be earned uh, or received that way as a result of, of earning. So, and we know uh, that this is the grace of God, which means that it originates in who? In God, right? So if you remember, we go back to the creation, fall, redemption, consummation. Uh, but before that entire story began, we started with God, right? The, the, the triune, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so this grace, it, it originates in that relationship, right? That's, fortunately, there wasn't probably a lot of need for it there because they're all perfect, Right? But that's where it comes from. This is who God is, right? And it's going to come into the world. And so the text tells us that it has appeared. And the word appeared uh, oftentimes means it's like properly of stars. Okay? How many of you guys have ever been like camping um, and you, want, you really want to see the stars? Okay, maybe a few of you, right? You go camping, you want to see the stars, and yet the cloud cover just comes across and you can't see them. There's a story uh, in the Bible in Acts 20 when Paul is actually adrift at sea, uh, and he says he can't see the stars because it's all clouded. And so what, what happens, what needs to happen is that those clouds need to move. And when that does, what becomes visible, right, is the stars. Now, were the stars, did they like depart or leave? No, it's always there. And the same thing with God's grace. God's grace has always been there, but there is this timing factor in which the clouds are beginning to, to part and to separate, and the grace of God, which originates in him, is becoming more and more clear in this world. And so with the grace of God appearing, I love this, right? We begin to see with greater clarity the character and the intention of God becoming a reality in my world. And what's becoming a reality is his disposition towards me, even though I don't deserve it. That's what's so cool about grace. That's what's so great about, about God. In fact, this is oftentimes used um, in Greek philosophy um, of like demigods. So you remember Hercules, you know, Hercules, Hercules, Hercules. You ever seen that, Disney? Right? Like when Hercules enters in, like, like into a story, he's, he's a demigod. And so there's this idea that there's this appearing, revealing of the gods. And here, what Paul is doing is he's, he's using it to open up the story, to lay this foundation for Jesus that is just absolutely uh, incredible, right? He wants us to have this really, really, really high view of Jesus, right? Far greater than the demigods. This is God himself in form, in person, right? In the flesh. And when he comes, when he appears, what does he do? He brings salvation. He brings the, the ability for us to enter into right relationship uh, with God, right? It's this act of being. Saved, which we know, and maybe you've never heard this again, because I don't want to assume that people fully understand this, uh, but that it m that assumes this massive underlying problem, right, which happens in creation to the fall, when sin enters into the world, and there's total chaos and total brokenness, uh, and there's nothing that we can do to earn uh, forgiveness. 
right? And so this is what Jesus does. He enters into the story. God's grace becomes apparent, enters into the story, and it brings the ability for us to be saved. And it's not for one person or for a group of people. It's for all people, right? All people fall short of the glory of God. So um, here's what I want to do. I'm going to come back over to uh, my, my board here for a second. Um, and I want to go back to... Um, Go back to our story for a second. Do you remember the story at the very beginning? Remember this buddy who is sitting behind me? <laughs> so as I was looking at my paper and thinking, wow, we got a 74% together between the three of us. I wonder, like it dawned on me that I'm not alone in the room. And I remember that my buddy is behind me sitting by himself with, with no teammates. And so like I, I, in this moment of soberness, I turn around and I fully expect the worst. And I said, hey man, how did you do? He goes, oh man, I totally failed. <laughs> I've been mean, like, this full confidence, I to- totally failed. I totally failed. And yeah, I mean, he had no hope doing it by himself, right? And, um, and what he did is he looked at me uh, and he goes, he, he actually, he's p- contemplating in this moment and he looks at me, and I'm sure this is totally unintentional by the professor, um, but, he, but he holds his paper up to me and, um, and the F, like when you, when you write an F like, like, um, like normally, like that's an F, right? His paper was like, Like this. I mean, it was like 10 lines each. And he, he holds that up to me and he goes, Does it look like he used extra ink? <laughs> and I was like, I mean, like in his mind, what he's processing is like, I didn't just fail, I failed hard. I failed hard, <laughs> really bad. And so when you think about this, right, like what does F stand for? It stands for failed. And so when we think about like how the grading system works, you know, you've got your A over here, and then you've got your, your Z over here. Now we only talk about really A through F, and we don't even talk about E's. You get an A, that's great. You get a B, that's good. You get a C, that's okay. You get D, that's not great. E, like we don't even talk about E. <laughs> It goes straight to F. F's like, you're beyond E, you're done. Right? And this is where we stop. We stop at F. And the reality is, is that on the alphabet, there's how many more letters? All the way to Z. We don't even talk about those letters. Right? We don't even talk about those letters. And what it communicates to us as people is that in some way, shape, or form, there is a line that is drawn. And if I'm on this side of the line, I'm okay. But if I'm on this side of the line, guess what? I'm not. I'm not okay. And this is the way that we oftentimes view life. And we know, and if you're a great parent, you say, hey, it's okay. It's okay to fail, right? It happens to all of us. C is good, you know, thumbs up, right? But the reality is, is that for every single one of us, we are contemplating on a daily basis how we do in life. And this permeates and seeps into, into our gospel theology. And the reality is, is that we go, this we go, praise Jesus, this is not how life works with, with God. Because even though, this is what scripture would teach. Scripture teaches that, that we are here. <laughs> We've bypassed H-I-J-K-L-M-N-O-P-E-Q-R-S-T-U-V-W-X-Y. We bypass all that. Scripture says this is who we are. We are the lowest of lows and the bottom of bottom, and we don't like to think about that. And yet, because of the gospel, 
This is what Jesus does for us. And I'm not talking about like the, four, like the above 4.0. Like when I was in high school, you get 4.0 and that's it. Okay, people? More than that, that's just cheating in my mind. <laughs> right? right? 100% is the best that you can do with Jesus. There's no 101. There's no 102. 100% is perfection. No scale, no curve, no grading, any of that. This is what you get with Jesus and this is what we are. And so we begin to see with greater clarity the power of the gospel, even though we tend to look at life like this. And I think it reminds me of this verse uh, in Romans 1.16. Uh, we're just talking about salvation, right? It says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, to the Jew first, but then also to the Greek. What Paul says in this to the Romans, he says, he says I know this is who I am, right here. But guess what? I'm not ashamed of that. Because what God did is he took this and he made me an A. That's the gospel. That's life. And I'm not ashamed of that. And I will tell every single person that I can about this good news because this is great news when I see myself as a Z and I get an A. If I think that I'm a B or a C or a D or an E, which again, nobody talks about, or an F, right? We are Zs who get A's, and that is the gospel. And so in verse 11, when Paul is summing up the entire thing in the word grace, this one word, he sums up the entire person in the works of Jesus, right? And what he's doing is he's talking about the gospel. He's talking about the gospel. That's what he is saying is the subject of this. Oh, I get this. Hear this. I think this is really, really important. Just read this with me. The gospel is the good news about the person and works of Jesus, right? That is salvation. We, have, we are in an act of being saved. We are eternally saved. We have salvation. And we think that that's where the gospel stops. But the reality is it's, it's just not. It's not just that. The gospel is not just salvation. The gospel is about how Jesus saturates every single part of our lives. And that's where I want to talk about this idea of gospel fluency. Gospel fluency. Um, how many of you guys uh, took a uh, foreign language when you were younger? Okay, a few of you. Um, when I was in high school, I had the privilege um, of, of trying to learn Spanish, and, uh, and I did not try very hard, <laughs> um, and I wish I would have, because every time I hear it, I'm so infatuated by it, and I, I love the language, and my wife speaks it, and so I want to be able to talk and all that stuff, and so it's so great. Um, but here's the deal. I, I learned, I remember a few things uh, from class. I could, I could say, um, where's the bathroom? When you go to um, another country and nature calls, you better know that question. <laughs> because if you don't know that question, it will land you in another building, um, pro probably where the police are, right? So, so you need to know that question. And when nature calls, you need to go, and so it's good to know that question. But another question that I could ask is, where's the library? Like I would ever ask that. <laughs> I'm in a country, excuse me, where's the library? Cool, I'm going to read these books. I don't, oh wait, I don't know anything about these books. Can't read it. The only positive about knowing where is the question of the library is maybe I forgot where's the bathroom and there's most likely a bathroom at the library, right? <laughs> That's about all I can do. I can say, my name is, how are you, what's your name? I can ask all those questions, but I love this. If I were to say, hey, my name is Seth, what's your name, how are you? Then they give me a five-minute answer uh, in a language that I cannot understand. And then they look at, and they're, they might be bearing their deepest, most painful, dark memories, and I'd be like, <laughs> high five, man, good job. Because I don't know anything what they're saying. And the reality is, is that nobody, nobody in their right mind would say that I'm fluent. 
in that language. I'm not. I'm not fluent. And here's the thing. I think we oftentimes do the same thing with the gospel. We know how to use the gospel in key moments with key things, but it does not touch every part of our lives. It's super important. Now, I might be stating the obvious here, but this is, this is really, really important stuff to actually talk about. You see, um, I think like, oftentimes we use, here's two maybe possible examples of how we use the gospel. Um, Red Bull, energy drink. I think oftentimes we, we get to a spot in life and we're like, man, like, I really need to focus on Jesus right now and I need to make it through whatever it is. I'm going to make it through. So we pop a Red Bull gospel, we chug it, and we're like, and we make it through, but on the other side, we gospel crash. And we can fall deeper and harder into sin because we're just, we're just worn out and done. We don't have it. Another way in which we use the gospel, I think, is if you bake a cake and you just, like, this would be me. I would bake a cake and I would just burn it. Like, it would just be so bad. But you know what you can do is you can take a nice white frosting and put it all the way over the top. And boy, does it look good. And sometimes we use the gospel that way. There's this burnt, deep, dark brokenness underneath, and yet we, we cover it with the gospel, and we make ourselves look really, really good. You see, that's not gospel fluency. That's not the way it is. And Paul describes something very different. Check this out in verse 12. I love this, verse 12. It says, this grace, remember, because grace is the subject, grace is training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions but it doesn't stop there. Grace also trains us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, right here, right now. Not only does God's grace save me, but it's teaching me to say no to gross things, and it's teaching me to say yes to good things. That's gospel fluency. You get it? How the gospel uh, interacts with that. Because, um, by the way, the word teaching or training here is oftentimes used of children in teaching settings in the Greek. (laughs) And so it's funny to me that Paul would use a word to adults that's often used of children. Guess what? Why? Because we as adults oftentimes separate what we believe from how we behave. And that God's grace has to teach us and has to train us how do we live in the present age. We cannot separate because if we do, we become like the Cretans, separating right belief from right behavior. And that's a bad place to be. And so grace, God's grace doesn't then just teach us to eschew evil. It teaches us to pursue after holiness. And guess what? You will constantly fail and that's okay. God's grace will meet you where you are at every single time because it's reactive and we use grace reactively in our lives. I get into sin, I get into a moment, and I go, okay, God's grace, God's grace. But God's grace is also meant to be proactive, meaning, right, that it begins to enter into all these different parts of our lives, and it's pushing us forward and pushing us actually towards Jesus. It's the very thing that saves us that makes us want to become more like Jesus. Do you get that? That's what grace is. That's so, so, so good. You know what the best way to learn God's grace is? It's through failure. It's through failure. I'm going to come back to uh, the board here for a second. Um, so let's just naturally, let's just, let's just put us down here. Okay, so this, this is me. Um, this is me. So no hair um, like these guys. Um, and then you've got Jesus over here. He's 
perfect, awesome, big biceps, you know, he's perfect, he's great, he's awesome. All right, here's me. I am a Z. This is me. I'm a Z, right? Jesus is an A. Right? He's perfect. I'm, I'm the opposite. And so what happens in life is that for me, I have this tendency, and maybe this is you, is that we say, okay, I want to become more like Jesus, so what's the, what's the, the shortest distance between two points? It's a straight line. So we have this, this hope and expectation that somehow, despite all laws of like sinful gravity, that this is how I'm going to grow. Like, I'm going to grow in a straight line towards Jesus, uh, and, uh, and it's going to be riddled with nothing, no problems. And the reality is, is that my growth pattern is oftentimes like this. You see, it's filled <laughs> with ups and downs. Have you ever heard anybody say, boy, life feels like a roller coaster? You want to know why? That's why. This is why life feels like a roller coaster, because we're constantly going up and down. And we have these circles and ins and outs. We go the right direction, and then we go the wrong direction, and then we go up, and we have bad days and good days. And, and there are moments when I go, man, I don't feel any closer to Jesus than I did a week ago. But after 10 years, whatever, you begin to see that if this is where I'm at and this is where I started, guess what? I am closer to Jesus, and I'm closer to becoming more like Jesus. I still have such a long ways to go. But, but life doesn't happen the way that we want it to. The best way to learn, right, about God's grace is actually through failure. It's with, that's the best way to learn over and over and, and over, right? And so I want to state the obvious here for a second. Uh, guys, learning about God's grace is not the problem. Living it out is the problem. That's why gospel fluency is so important. And that's why Paul puts it at the center of this to say this is so, so, so important. Now, Paul is very clear in other parts of Scripture to not uh, use um, our freedom as an opportunity to sin. Don't go just sin. Don't just go sin. Don't just go sin. Don't just go fail so you can learn God's grace. That's not the way that it is. Gospel fluency means, um, or the God's grace means that um, I want to sin less. It doesn't mean that I will sin less because even when I work on an area of my life and that begins to go away, it just oozes out sideways into other areas. I'm constantly working and constantly learning and constantly needing God's grace, right? And I think this is a really important principle to learn. Check this out, this line. I think this is, this is helpful. Um, we need to learn to be content with being a sinner because this side of heaven, you will not get out of that. <laughs> you will always be a sinner until the day Jesus comes back and you are given your permanent, eternal body. So we need to learn to be content with that. But guess what? We, we, need to, we need to never be content with our sin. And that's the process. And that's where gospel, flu, gospel fluency constantly, constantly enters in. And the more gospel fluent we become, the more proactive we actually become um, in, with the gospel in our lives. We begin not just to, to, to implement to, into my sin. I begin to, to allow it to help me see and shape opportunities where I can grow into Christ likeness, where I walk towards those opportunities, because the gospel motivating me to be like Jesus. Check us out in verse 13, right? And this is the context. We're waiting 
for our blessed hope, right? This is the reality. You and I, we are still waiting. Redemption has happened. The consummation is still yet to come. And we live in this tension where something has been started, but it's not yet there. And we are waiting for Jesus to come back. God's grace appeared, but there's another moment in history, future history, in which Jesus will appear again, right? And that's when life will be changed for us. But until then, we're waiting for Jesus, And it's God's grace that's teaching us and training us to live in the present age. You see, not only um, do I think that we need gospel fluency, I am convinced, I mean, actually, I am pretty convinced that gospel fluency is one of the things that we need most as Christians. But even more so am I convinced coming out of the year that we had of COVID, because we have a platform to rethink about who we are and how we engage in the world right? Gospel fluency is such an important piece uh, at this time of life, right? This is why we've been emphasizing Cave Table Road so much, because it's about us, you and me, together we, going back into our own space and spending time with God, spending time with our friends and family, and spending time with people who don't know Jesus, right? We have this platform, because we've said this before, what the world needs is more Christians who actually look like Christ. That's so, so, so important, and that each of those conversations, what should be the center? What does Paul say? What's the center of those conversations? Grace, 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 gospel fluency, grace in my conversation with God, grace in my conversation with others, and grace in my conversation with the world. Because let me ask you this question, what happens to the Christian church when we disassociate right belief from right behavior? We talked last week a little bit about uh, the idea of being conceited and growing self-righteous and this bigness that comes uh, from within, but, but there's something f- far more basic and fundamental than that. In James 4, um, Paul, um, excuse me, in James 4, it's written that uh, he, sa- he says this. He says, you who know what you ought to do, and if you don't do it, to you it is sin. You see, if we have right belief but not right behavior, even if I just know what the, I, or I have the right belief, I know what the right answer is. Learning's not the problem. Living it out is. Recognizing it and living it out. And when I don't do that, I end up perpetuating the sin and brokenness in my life. And so what I need is the gospel to change how I see opportunities in life. Not just how I see my sin, but how I see opportunities in life to become, to be shaped, to be formed and molded into Jesus. You see, the gospel is reactive, but it needs to be proactive. And if you need some motivation, just look at verse 14, because this is, this is what Jesus did for us. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That's the church. That's what we're called to be. That's risking church. That's who we want to be. Zealous for good works. You see the contrast? Remember the people at the very beginning? You remember uh, Carl and Johnny? They were detestable for good works, unfit for any good work because grace was disconnected in their lives. But for us as Christians, when grace becomes the focal point and the gospel becomes the focal point, what happens is that we become ready and filled and excited and exuberant for good works in the world that God has called us to be in, right? I love that. And this is how Paul ends in verse 15. 
And if you, and if you don't think that this is important in Paul's eyes, just listen to this verse. Paul says, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Do you want to know how important grace is at the center of the Christian community? And in, in the center of our lives, it's, it's this strong. <laughs> rebuke and exhort. Teach with all authority. Let no one disregard you. That's who we're called to be. I love that. It's such a great, great, great image there for us. So as we, as we wrap up and as we think, as we think through this, um, I want to come back to the board just for a second here. So if you remember, this is me down here and Jesus is up here and, and we've got this growth process, right? And it's all these loop-de-loops and sometimes I find myself just in sin and over and over and over I feel stuck for years and yet then for whatever reason God brings me out of it, right? So not only am I here, right? I have this, this natural sinful disposition that's working against me. I do. It's naturally working against me. But I also... I also have Carl working against me. I have culture who's trying to pull me towards him. And I also have Johnny, right, who's working against me. And it's these people who would say, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. This is who you need to be. And I have all these factors working against me uh, in the Christian life. And this is why it's so important because gospel fluency demands that at any single given point in this process, I need to be able to speak the gospel and remind myself who Jesus is and what he accomplished for me and where he's taking me on this journey and, and the privilege it is to get to serve Jesus. And this is church, gospel fluency in the church. These, these relationships, right relationships defined by Christ. I wanna invite the worship team uh, to come on up. And as they do, we're gonna sing you know, one uh, final uh, song. But I wanna give you uh, just three quick uh, challenges. Uh, three quick challenges about um, becoming gospel fluent. How do we become a gospel fluent uh, church, right? This is when it's embraced at the individual level. How does grace begin to shape our lives? And I just want you to think about these as a challenge. One, becoming gospel fluent is when, we, uh, when the gospel begins to saturate not only what I believe but how I act. So you can ask yourself that question. Is the gospel shaping how I act? Does it just shape the what, I, what I believe? The second one is this. Becoming gospel fluent is also about when the gospel becomes not only reactive but proactive. It doesn't just fit in my sin. It pushes me and motivates me uh, to, to Christ-likeness in life. And the last one is this. This is becoming gospel fluent is when it becomes a part of every area of my life, not just a few. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we wrap up our service this morning, as we've been in risking church and, you know, we've got this week and, and next week and then we've got a couple of weeks and Ephesians coming up, God, I pray, I pray from the depths of my heart that, that we would be a church uh, who at the core, that the mo it's most important about, about who we are is the life that we do pe with people and that it's relationships that are driven by the gospel. It's driven by gospel truth and that it meets us right where we are in the sin, the struggles, the brokenness, but it's also this call and this vision of what the church could be as each of us is drawn into Christ's likeness as we move towards 
him. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.